0: welcome to triathlon ish we have a very special episode today now a few weeks ago Dee, Dee griesbauer won the ultraman world championships at the age of 52 and our very own laura Adult was there to help her train crew the whole thing so today We're handing over the mic to Sid and Didi to tell us everything about that experience. This is the hour and a half long, all you could ever want to know about the Ultraman World Championships. And I recommend listening to the whole thing. I promise you will think it as funny and entertaining as I did.
1: So Kelly has let me loose on the podcast today, although I very much feel like I've still got my training wheels on, but I'm here to, inter- well, not really interview, I want to have a chat with good friend and recently crowned Ultraman World Championship, Dee Griesbauer. But before I bring Dee on, I'm just going to list off for you a few of the things that she's achieved. So bear with me on this. 10 times NCAA All-American swimmer, Pan-Pacific Pan-American champion, 200-meter backstroke, I think two-time Olympic trialist, Wall Street trader, then three-times Ironman champion, three-times top-ten finisher at Kona, 2016 12-hour time trial world champion, 2020 Ultraman world record holder from Ultraman Florida being second overall first female finisher there. Then at age 51 was the second fastest Ironman bike split of all time in history. And just recently at Ultraman world championships in Hawaii, one, breaking the course record by 45 minutes, finishing in 23 hours, 22 minutes and 58 seconds. On the way, breaking bike cor- the bike course record on day one and day two, Asterisk by day two. Come back to that one. Um, only 10 minutes behind the second place male, third overall, all at age 52. degrees Greasepar, I could see you checking off that list to make sure I'd got all the stats right as we went. And I'm now panicking, but I'm quite tired just reading that list off. But welcome to the podcast. How are you? It feels like it's been ages, but it was kind of yesterday. But
0: well, I know. I know we spent so much time together in the lead-up to Ultraman. I literally, as soon as we arrived, as soon as we put you on the plane, um, onwards in your travels, it was about 10 minutes later. I was like going through Sid withdrawal. I was like, (laughs) We have a bunch, as you know, a bunch of your things in our basement in storage (laughs) waiting for you to return to Boulder. And every once in a while I go downstairs and just hang out with you or at least <laughs> in the I miss you. I am good. <laughs> oh, that's, funny. I, you know, in reading that list off, I, I, I literally, it wasn't that I was ticking the boxes. I was just sort of shaking my head being like, who is that person? Cause it, I don't know. I have imposter syndrome. I think it doesn't seem like me.
1: <laughs> I, I mean, I, like, don't we all, I was at an event on Wednesday night in London and I had serious imposter syndrome, but anyway, not about me for the moment. Um, I have just listed off all those accolades, but, and I think most people probably listening to this podcast will probably know your name for the, what probably more the your voice maybe for being a commentator on, on Ironman, but we'll know, but just give me a very brief kind of, how did you get into the sports um, and a little bit about your athletic background from that, that side of things, but how did you get into then triathlon, I guess?
0: Yeah, so I swam, uh, as you noted. I was a swimmer growing up, mostly because I um, I am not athletic, even remotely. Um, in our family, my husband is definitely the better athlete of the two of us. Put any sort of, I don't know, racket or stick or something in his hands, and, and he definitely shines. He um, did, you I am did not pretty super- well at
1: running a few miles down the Queen K as well. Let's give him some credit there as well. <laughs> he was pacing yeah, for he day did. three, but anyway. <laughs>
0: He he has done an Ironman and then retired. Oh, he's a one not and done Yes, he's a one and done Ironman athlete. Uh, he's run a couple of marathons, Boston Marathon qualifier, all on his own. I did not realize. So David he is G definitely yeah done an Ironman. I
1: anyway, sorry Dave, yes. not about you. Back to Dee Dee. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: he is the better athlete of the two of us. But as a kid, my parents put me in a pool because it was safe, and I seemed to not hurt myself quite as badly. Uh, in the water as I did on any other sort of playing field. Uh, And I loved it. I loved swimming. I loved swimming, I think, more than they wanted me to love swimming. Uh, When the notion of double workouts came up uh, from my coaches, they decided that boarding school was an elegant solution to that problem. And so, yes, I went to boarding school in high school, um, managed to claw my way into Stanford University as a walk-on to the swim team there, and really flourished. Um, I arrived at Stanford having never swum a double, having never lifted a weight. Um, And so I was definitely flogged in the early months at Stanford University and outclassed by their women's program there, Um, but found my footing and finished my collegiate swimming career, swimming best times, still loving the sport, ended up swimming two years post-collegiately, did not make the world championship team in 94. Felt like I was Falling behind my peers professionally speaking. And so I retired from swimming, got my MBA, headed to Wall Street. During business school, I was a bit burnt out from, I don't know, the academic rigors. And during finals, I had turned on the TV and happened to see the Iron Man. Uh, it was December. I was studying for finals, and the Iron Man was on NBC. So I turned it on, and it happened to be the year that Karen Smyers came from so far behind with Paula Newby-Fraser leading the race. It was a very dramatic finish in the women's race. I, honest to God, don't even remember the men's race. I don't even remember who won that year, but I remember watching Paula and the drama unfold um, as Karen sort of continued to chase past her. Paula collapses to the ground. And while everyone was sort of holding their breath, I was like, where do I sign up?
1: (laughs) Sucks in.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Completely sucked in. But I had signed up as a one and done. I spent three months after my graduation from business school uh, training for an Ironman, thinking I was a one and done kind of Ironman athlete and went to work on Wall Street. But a couple of years later, just got sucked back in and ended up qualifying for the Ironman World Championship and uh, never looked back. Raced for two years as an age grouper. Ironically, ended up with Karen Smyers as my coach. Um, and she suggested I turn pro. So on March fifteenth, um, two thousand three, was my last day of work, and I became a professional triathlete. And that is that. Okay. <laughs> and
1: so then, fast forward through all those accolades: three times Ironman champion, three times top ten finisher at Kona. In between that, you did some time trialing and broke the world record oh, oh, world champion at. 12 hour time trial. Is that right? Yeah.
0: I set, I set the course Course record record. at the 12 hour time trial world championship that came about as a, an offshoot of a bunch of run injuries I sustained and we can chat about that um, later, but I I had been injured basically for the entire year and was not able to run and was just sort of drifting sideways. And uh, Julie Dibbins, my coach had found this event the 6 12 24 hour time trial world championship in borrego springs and she said it'd be good for you to have a sort of a competitive outlet something to race, something to sink your
1: teeth into because you don't need uh, goals or to focus or for. anything to train for at all do we now Dee? hey
0: <laughs> well i know well the, goal, the goals i mean honestly if she had just written me a plan yes I, i'm perfectly happy just, just training but it does help to have a goal yeah. and So I looked at the three different events and the six hour didn't really pique my interest that much because I felt like I was like, well, we do that every day in training. (laughs) Like we ride the bike six hours, you know, multiple times, you know, in training. So that didn't seem that special. And 24 seemed a bit daunting because anybody that knows me knows that I love my sleep and sleep deprivation is not a place where I thrive. So I settled on the 12 hour time trial, which seemed like a good blend between like super gnarly and not totally insane.
1: Yeah, and there, there you I have can it. Can kind of see that. Um, okay, so <laughs> we have that side of things. But then, so tell me then, how did Ultraman come about? I mean, I know the story, but you tell tell everyone else how did you then? I mean, obviously, I, I'm seeing I'm seeing a bit of a pattern here. You know, you watched you watched uh, the Ironman World Championships on TV and and got sucked in. But how did we then go from that to to Ultraman and maybe also. In that, just explain to people what Ultraman actually is in terms of distances and stuff.
0: Yeah, so Ultraman is a three-day, three hundred and twenty-ish mile race, <laughs> and I say "ish" because <laughs> flexibility. It depends on sort of where your race. It's, it's a flexible. It's a flexible yeah. measure.
1: <laughs> Give or take the odd mile, um, uh, which you know, at, at that the, length the and mile. distance is only a small percentage. <laughs>
0: What's another couple of miles, really, (laughs) truly? Um, Yeah, so uh, three days, 320 miles. Day one is a 10K swim, 6.2 miles. Day two is a 90, uh, sorry, day one, 10K swim, 6.2 miles, plus a 91-mile bike. Go to sleep, wake up the next morning, 171 to 174 miles in that window somewhere-ish mile bike. Uh, day three, double marathon, 52.4 miles. So three days, 320 miles. I was introduced to Ultraman by my very good friend, Hilary Biscay, who happened upon the event herself and won the Ultraman World Championship in 2013. Fast forward, I knew she was training for this crazy Hillary ish thing. And anybody that knows Hillary knows that Ultraman is right up her alley. Um, she she uh, founded a, an apparel company called Smashfest, and, and Ultraman is truly the ultimate Smashfest. Um, so Hillary had competed in Ultraman, and I was in Tucson doing some training one winter to get out of Boston, um, spent some time with her and her husband Mike in Tucson, and Hillary had been invited to a bike shop to talk about her Ultraman experience, and there were going to be free snacks, so I, of course, tagged along. And uh, sat in the back and just listened to Hillary talk about this event. And I think the thing that got to me, and you and I have talked about this at length, it it wasn't necessarily the distances. Yes, it, it makes you sort of shake your head and be like, wait, what? But the thing that got me was visualizing day three, because the Ultraman World Championships, you run from Javi back to the old airport in Kona. And as an Ironman athlete who had raced the Ironman World Championship a number of times, you think about making that turn in Javi on the bike, and the race is really only just beginning. There's so much left of the race when you make that turn in Javi that the concept of running from there, I was like, hang on a minute. And of course, something in my gut just said, someday I have to give that a try. It took a few years to muster up the courage, but that was my introduction. It was listening to Hillary talk about her experience and then trying to wrap my head around running from Javi. It was really the run that that, that sort of cinched it for me. I was like, I, I can't
1: fathom it. I've got to try it. Which is interesting because the running is probably the thing. Well, maybe it's not interesting. Maybe that's because the running is the thing that you probably fear. Fear, is that the right word, the most in terms of the day? 100%. It's
0: it's the most intimidating aspect of the triathlon for me, for sure. The
1: other thing that kind of blows my mind is, well, one, okay, yeah, sucked into doing the Ultraman in Hawaii, but to get there, you have to do another one to qualify, don't you? So you had to do uh, Ultraman Florida to start with. So it's not just like it's a one and done. You're, like, sucked into two of these.
0: You, you, essentially, if you want to do the Ultraman World Championship, yes, they they are very strict, and and God love them for it. I tried to to wiggle my way in. I <laughs> sent emails and was like, "Hey, I have a tremendous amount of Ironman race experience, and I have some ultra experience. I had done a a fifty k trail run. I had done the twelve hour time trial World Championship, and I tried to submit all of those experiences as resume enough for." <laughs> Ultraman world championship. And they're like, we'd love for you to race Ultraman and qualify for the Ultraman world championship. (laughs) So I thought, okay, well, um, the idea of another Ultraman wasn't quite as exciting to me, but the rules are the rules. And so, um, yeah, Ultraman Florida, it was, there are a number of Ultraman races around the world. There's Ultraman Australia, Ultraman Arizona. I believe there's an Ultraman in Brazil, um Canada. and I think there's an ultra race, yeah, Canada. And I think there's one uh I want to say over in Europe somewhere, but I'm not entirely sure. Ultraman Florida fit my schedule. And so finally in 2019, I signed up for Ultraman at the start of 2020, having absolutely no idea what I had got myself into.
1: And <laughs> I know, like when we and you go back to like we were chatting yesterday when again had a dry run and there were various mistakes I've made on this this trying to record this podcast for the first oh, you're time. you're a
0: you're a pro already, <laughs> <since>. <laughs> but
1: When I retell the stories, it will be very it'll be quite amusing. The one being I was sitting in the wrong room of the recording for like 10 minutes before we started today but anyway because I was so prepped that I thought I'd practice everything and then practiced and joined the wrong the wrong interview um going through those days and when I was like writing it down yesterday going through it in my head and obviously I was there as part of the crew for you but like day two 172 miles now miles don't mean much to me so I converted that and I was like that's 276 kilometers which I basically rounded up to 300 kilometers which I went that sounds more epic know, so well, let's go with kilometers it sounded, kilometers don't mean anything to me but you sound way more gnarly exactly, when you do a sounds, further distance so let's like, go with kilometers I was just like that's it's absolutely massive that is absolutely insane and I was there on day two and we were driving in the van and I was like but it didn't and this is going to sound really stupid it didn't necessarily feel like we'd driven obviously for 276 kilometers or whatever and now i maybe have to should ask ask that same question to my van buddies but during that day on day two like during that ride because it is such a huge number of kilometers did did you feel every kind of every bit of those miles or did it did it feel that long to you on the bike
0: I mean it's it's a it's a long way and I was I was slightly intimidated by it because in training I had done a couple we we estimated that my ride time for day 2 would be in and around 8 hours plus or minus 10 to 15 minutes depending on the conditions on the day. And so in training we actually did a couple of 8 hour rides. But in those eight-hour rides, and I tried to include a lot of climbing because I knew the elevation profile for the course, and and it would take us nearly 10,000 feet of elevation gain, convert to meters. I'm not sure what that is, but it it, it was going to be a hilly ride. Uh, So in training, I tried to select some hillier routes that would take into account the elevation that we would encounter in the race. And I got nowhere near 172 miles. I mean, I got somewhat near, but I, I, so I finished those, being like, "Oh my gosh, like maybe this is going to take an awful lot longer." And that's in that's and in then, Boulder, where
1: you like seem to—I don't know—whenever I'm riding in Boulder, we seem to like cover far more kilometers than I do on my own in Spain. Well, the, the, the air is
0: thinner. <laughs> yeah, <it's laughs> the air is Thinner. We slide yeah. more easily <laughs> through the air. <laughs> but it was, and it, it was, it was somewhat intimidating that I. I I had no idea what the time would be, but I just told myself, your time doesn't matter. It's where you are relative to everybody else. So if it takes you nine hours, great. As long as you're the first to cross the line, you're doing your job. So in training, I thought I had had done a reasonable job preparing. I, I thought as well, we were very diligent in our preparation for the race. I had gone out to Hawaii on my own, which was also sort of scary, for a training camp in early September to study the course. Um, obviously a, a lot of triathletes, particularly at the elite level, have been to Kona a number of times and raced either trained or raced on the Ironman course. And so I knew that part of it very, very well. Uh, but the bike course is essentially everything, but it's every road in Hawaii except the Ironman course. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so I went out, I went out to study it and left with sort of that same intimidated feeling but as uh, you had aptly reminded me, now you know. Now you know what you're in for. Now you know how to prepare for it. And so Julie and I set about to prepare as specifically as we could in training, finishing every long ride with a, with a big climb, because both day one and day two ended with a pretty um, serious climb. So we ended our training days that way to try to replicate that as well. The day of the race, I will say, because we had studied the course so meticulously, I was really able to break yeah. it down into sections. And so as a result, it really didn't feel as long as it actually was. It, it went by incredibly quickly, given the distances that we covered. 100%.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think when you think about it, like it was pretty easy to, to break down. But also, isn't it, isn't it so true when you are go to any race, and you ride the course in like the days leading up to it and you're like, how am I ever going to do this within, you know, for an iron distance race? How am I ever going to yes. do this within four and a half or five hours or whatever? Like it's going to, you know, you, you yes. do part of the course. And it takes you like seven hours. And I could imagine like, yeah, you doing those like rides in Boulder and be going, oh, actually, interestingly, how did you finish your rides at the top of a climb in Boulder? Did someone have to come and pick you up oh, then from, I, like... The no, well, of... we, had to, had to, yeah. <laughs> we had to cheat it a little
0: bit. Yeah, we had to cheat it a little bit because the rides I would. I would climb left hand at the end, but then I would have to pad on enough time to yeah. do the descent and ride home. Yeah. So it wasn't wasn't 100% I was accurate. Like, I, I, had you moved house to the top of a hill or I was going to say, David, David G. made an awful lot of sacrifices yeah. during my ultra prep, but one of them, I was not going to ask him to pick me up at the top of left hand so we could exactly <laughs> replicate the bike course. But there was some climbing, we'll call it, in the last 90 minutes yeah, yeah. of every long right. ride. So, yeah, I did have a bit of a descent, but um, it was not that precise yeah.
1: <laughs> now we well Eden I touched about um the van in in when we we're talking about that and also like you mentioned how much preparation you've done for this race so um let's talk about a little bit like I also hear rumor had it that you had the best support crew out there on the island um oh it's true that's 100 how, true, how did down. you how did you go about like so for, again explain kind of for, for people how you went about selecting the crew or or that, you know, Ultraman, it's self-supported, isn't it? So you have to have people coming along for, for the ride, technically, with you. Yeah. And honestly,
0: that's what I loved about Ultraman from my first experience with Ultraman Florida was that it takes what is, and we all say, even in, in Ironman racing, 70.3 racing, it takes a village, right? We all have our communities that support us. We have our training partners. We have our coaches. We have our massage therapists, our strength coaches. Um, we, we have a village that supports us as individual athletes, but triathlon is an individual sport. But Ultraman it turns it into a team sport because there is 0% chance I could have accomplished this without the help and support of my crew. Um, and so when I selected my crew, I, I chose people, I think, that um how do I say this be careful people that with know me wording. very well
1: <laughs> <I know. laughs> I'm like oh that was a long pause for this <laughs> that, that was I know that was
0: a, that was a that was a pregnant pause um it, it's um I, I chose people that know me incredibly well that can read sort of even my facial expressions my moods my because they'll anticipate because the the race itself is a roller coaster, right? I'm up and down, and I needed a crew that was going to be able to read that and adjust accordingly. Um, so I wanted people that knew me very, very well. I wanted people that were going to take this event seriously as seriously as as I did. But I also wanted people that were going to have fun with it because it is so <laughs> difficult and so intense. But there had to be a degree of humor to it all to make it tolerable. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, my crew, my crew and I have heard this from so many Ultraman athletes, including race organizers. My crew was the best crew on the island, hands down. Absolutely, and I don't just say that because of present company. It just—it's a statement you. of fact. <laughs> <laughs> I think my crew is actually being recruited by other athletes for future ultramarathons. The price races. is very high. I, I have—I was going to say I've made it clear that there's a price attached yeah, to that. There's a
1: lot that you don't a, get excellence like this for. There's free. a lot of conditions <laughs> that come with uh, with crewing going forward. <laughs> so who did like, who, who did you playing like obviously self promote? Who do you have in your crew? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, um, my husband Dave Griesbauer, who David G obviously knows, David G. Or, everybody, you know, for
1: most of the trip, as one of our crew members thought, we were calling him Baby G, which I thought was highly yes. amusing. So Baby, so baby G. G, but no, David yes. G. G. um, G,
0: who obviously knows me better than just about any human on the planet. Um, a close second would be my coach Julie Dibbins. Um, runner up to her, uh, my strength coach Kate Ligler. Uh, my very dear training partner, Mm -hmm. Laura Siddle, (laughs) who I don't even know as Laura, we just call her Sid, um, who in training, just part and parcel, you know, your training partners inside out, you know, the highs and lows. So, um, she had the unfortunate job and I speak to her as if, uh, (laughs) I'm not speaking to her, but about her rather, um, had the unfortunate task, uh, of being my run pacer, which we can talk about that a little bit in a minute. And then my massage therapist, Sophie Evans, who is also an ultra runner in her own right and would pitch in with some of the run pacing, but also uh, was an essential piece of the puzzle to get me upright each and every day. (laughs) Very true, (laughs) which is also a monster task. So we had a great crew um, of people who were serious about sport and serious about this event, but all have personalities that I thought would sort of make this a really fun experience at the same time.
1: And we all very much had like different roles to play in that. I mean, like I think, you know, we'd probably got we're a whole host of A-type personalities. I would say all of us were and any one of us could have probably been the leader, so to speak. But, you know, we'd all been given or agreed some, maybe some agreed, accepted roles, others given to us. <laughs> Um, in that team, and all had, you know, knew exactly what we we're doing each day and knew who was doing what in each within the team, who was doing what role. And so, you know, like technically, like, sort of, yeah, Dave was like sort of that team head of registering us with the, the team, but sort of on course lead was Julie, and we all kind of defaulted in and her. You did, um, you did forget the sixth member of the team, uh, Betty. Discovana. Yes. Do you want to explain Varna, Burgundy Betty, yes. Mauve Mama? Yes. One of three she names. It really was.
0: And we can't forget, we can't forget the pig, oh, yeah, the who pig. I think by the end of the trip didn't even have a name. But Lester. Um, I think so, we called him Lester. Lester?
1: Lester? I think we ended oh, up being Lester. Did we Lester. decide on a gender? I think it was Lester <laughs> the pig, but I'm not sure. Okay. But that's, okay. yeah. Um. So our crew vehicle, I
0: did have a, a large crew. Most people roll with a crew of maybe two to three. Um, but every member of my crew was such an important piece of the puzzle that there was no, there was no trimming. Like there, there couldn't have been trimming because everybody had a, a very specific role that they played. And I thought every role was essential in that regard. Um, so my crew was big, uh, because Sophie was there and we had a massage table for Sophie. Um, and on day three, because with Ultraman Hawaii, you're spending each night in a different location, you're not going back to the same place. And you, the you're basically again, Florida. you're basically
1: in those three days. What maybe we didn't you you circumnavigate the island, aren't you? You circumnavigate yeah. the
0: entire island, yeah. yes. Um so day three, my bike had to ride along as well. So we thought with five people. Plus me at the end of the day getting back to our accommodation. No, you could plus walk. Plus massage back. table. Plus everyone's overnight back. Yeah, walk could back ride, right Just back. ride your bike. You no, know, just recovery. Particularly, particularly on day two yeah. when we were basically up, in 15K and up the 15k up the mountain. It's fine. 15k with another 3k of you'd climbing. you finished no
1: finish riding for the day. You know, you went riding again after that. It would have been a nice little spin down, <laughs> no, spin up. It would have been nice
0: little warm down. <laughs> um, we decided that just a your run of the mill minivan wasn't going to be enough space, so. Finding a, a vehicle on the Big Island of Hawaii that would accommodate all of that was no small undertaking. And we did struggle with it for a time until I had the brilliant idea, why not rent a camper van?
1: <laughs> so we found, I would love uh, to have uh, polled uh, at this point the, the other crew members and go, was this a brilliant idea? Yes or no? <laughs> Disco Vana. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I I think the answer would be yes and no out of every single member.
1: I I think there was some car sickness reported from the back. There was was reported, I wouldn't even say reported vomit. There was definitely vomit on day one, not in the van. We said not in the van, outside the van, but yeah.
0: But I will also report firsthand experience um, that as the van went by every time, the laughter and the shouts that were coming from the van, and they maybe have been shouts of terror. I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> Scream. The shouts coming from the van did make me envious of what was going on inside the van. And there were more than one occasion where I thought, I want to be in the van. <laughs> the van seems like it's having way more fun than I am outside of the van. Uh, the van is the place to be. Uh, so we ended up renting this van. And the company that we rented from, uh, their their inventory of vans, they had five or six to choose from. And I'll fully admit we chose the cheapest one. Sorry. It's it's not that I didn't want you guys to be riding in the lap of luxury, but this was an expensive <laughs> undertaking. So um, they all had names. And so our van's name was Discovana. I think because she was born in the era of disco, she was definitely like a 1980s sprinter van. Definitely. <laughs> to
1: be fair, given the name, I was very disappointed she didn't have like a disco ball in the van. A strobe light. A strobe light, yeah. I, yeah. I think that would have just like topped it off. Having said that, on day three, so the one thing I thought that was great about the van in the end was that everyone recognised us. And, like, even you could see when we were going past, it was easy to spot the van. So much so that on Actually, I could hear you. You could, I could actually hear the before you could see That you. is fair. You could hear the van before you could she see. Had certain,
0: us. She had a rumble to her engine that was uh, <laughs> That different.
1: might have been the flat tire that Kate was pumping up with a bike pump every two hours on that, the van. The hubcap that was falling off.
0: <laughs> the hubcap that was falling off. But,
1: but so much so that Discovana, on day three, where we started the run at Harvey, and we started in the dark that day, the other two mornings we'd started in the light. Um and we started in the dark, so much so that um, Stacey, who was one of the locals who who was actually crew, who we'd met in the couple of weeks before the race, and and was lovely and was giving us lots of lots of tips. But I think she was crewing for another member was it or was she just volunteering and helping out at the... anyway can't remember doesn't matter but she turned she was she was, she was a volunteer crew from someone that had come in internationally <clears throat> right. so she
0: was crewing for an athlete but she is a local she actually won the race i believe in she did
1: that is right so very yeah. experienced anyway so she turns up morning of day three with um basically christmas tree lights which were to decorate the van with um in the morning light in fact i actually wore them myself. Uh, I thought they were much more appropriate to wear, so that I could be visible on the road, and at least again you could see us in the dark. But yeah, um, well then we but then we called so we, we went. Disco Varna was named. But she was this burgundy or mauve. Ve- Mo- well, yeah, or was mauve. Yeah, there was a lot of de-
0: there was more mauve, over the as the, the cra- US yeah, people call it mauve. mauve? No mauve. Mauve. mauve.
1: mauve. 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 So it was gonna be mauve, mauve mama. Which I just mauve the word, it should be mauve. And then so we went to Burgundy Betty. Yes. I have to say as well. She had a
0: she had a velvet she had a velvet plush interior. <coughs> she was something else. You you slept in her. I did one sleep night. in her. Do
1: you know what though? And I don't think I told you this. I couldn't work out how to make the beds open up properly. And I had a feeling oh, there was a button. Yeah, but I think you had I watched
0: the I watched the intro video. There was a button. I watched somewhere. the video
1: as well pre prior when we were on count the two weeks before. But at night, I was worried I had to turn the engine on or something to do it, or I had to turn something on. And I was so worried that I would flatten the battery for the next day that I didn't actually extend the bed. And I just slept across the back, which being a short ass is fine. And it was actually quite nice in there. I thought it was quite spacious. It was kind of cozy. It looked cozy. The the, the reaction you got when you're like, I'm going to sleep in the van tonight. We all kind of looked at you and were like. (laughs) are you sure? (laughs) I was worried about what it might be like the next day for people getting in it for the day. Um, the other thing I think actually that did work quite well for the van. And again, i maybe should have asked Kate more of this. Kate was in charge of nutrition and very much was like, I am so glad she did that job because I did not want to do that job. She was definitely the right person. Basically like making sure you were getting the right calories, had the plan that you should worked out or that you'd worked out with your nutritionist nutritionist and was then also every time you threw a bottle back to us um it was like how much has she taken or not taken and Kate was like just making totals but we had a pretty good setup internally of the van where there was a couple of us at the back and then where Kate would was sitting which was kind of perched on a a kind of bench she could actually like reach all the nutrition and we had the coolers and you could almost do that on the go which I think improved yes. our efficiency. Like when we stopped, we all knew exactly what we're doing. I think I think you personally had better aid stations than any race I've been to. They were about two hundred or three hundred meters long.
0: Yeah. yeah I, mean, I did a and, lot I did a lot of hill long, reps.
1: Long, I did a lot of hill reps running yeah. <laughs> to and from the van. I did that. a lot of, did running of running. There, yeah. It was all about me doing training and running that weekend. <laughs> You got, you, you
0: got your steps in.
1: Did you get your steps oh, in? I well, want to make sure.
0: <laughs> it was but, but literally the logic to each stop was brilliant because every single time you were lined up the exact same way. So you were at the front where I would discard any trash or bottles and then you would yell out instructions as to who has what and in what order. Julie would be next with any kind of update, either on splits in the race or pacing guidance or sort of coaching call-outs, as well as handing me a bottle of something. Usually, baby G had ice water that was meant to sort of go on me and cool me off. Kate was then next in the lineup, would hand me other calories or bottles and explain, you know, she gave me a deadline on each one. She's like, you've got 30 minutes to get through this bottle. This is whatever it was in the bottle um and then Sophie was last chance uh where I would either dump the bottle of cold water that I'd used to cool myself or also hand me another bottle of something so every single time you guys got out of the van that was your order and it made it super easy and
1: like military type precision it was it was outstanding And and then the other thing was I mean it wasn't yeah we had like backups but then it wasn't disastrous because we were then leapfrogging you effectively, so we knew that if we'd failed to get you something, or if you yelled out whatever you wanted, we would then try and get back in the van as quickly as possible, and then carry on up the road and and leapfrog you further up.
0: Yeah, yeah. It honestly, it like the event itself, and I think part of why I also um, really enjoy Ultraman. You go out in an Ironman and yes, you have aid stations um, and there are great volunteers that are cheering and 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 doing a wonderful job out on any given Ironman race course, but sort of it's up to you, um, to what you're grabbing and and the timing of it all. And for me with Ultraman, it made it so, and I know this is a ridiculous word to use, but it made it so simple because my crew did all of the thinking for me and told me all I had to do Kate was comply. Kate did all the thinking for us. <laughs> I am very compliant. So it was like eat this, drink this. I will say well, um, I saw hmm. I saw Sophie this past week and she busted me wide open. She's like, when we were running, she was like, I would hand you a bottle. And you looked like you were drinking from it. She's like, you were totally faking it. She's like, I could tell because the bottle was just as heavy when I finished running with you as it was when we started. And I was like, oh my God, it was so true because I got so sick of drinking whatever it was that I was just like, the easier thing was instead of to fight against the crew and be like, no, I'm not drinking that, was to pretend And I didn't realize that I had been busted wide open. She's like, you were faking it.
1: I was like, I was totally faking it. (laughs) Yeah, because every time we went back to the van with a bottle, Kate was like, military, like, how much is left in that bottle? And we're like, yeah, this much. So we knew exactly what you were taking. So
0: we... And there were a couple of times where, and you and I had talked about this in training before, and it was something that was great. When I did Ultraman Florida, one of my crew, Jordan Bryden... He was just really supportive and really gentle with me. And he'd hand me a bottle and be like, take a sip. And I'd take a sip. He's like, you can do a little better. Take another sip. So I'd take another sip. What I had figured out by by Ultraman Hawaii, and you had done the same thing. I would take a sip. And you're like, okay, good job. Maybe try one more small sip. I was just faking it.
1: <laughs> the only thing, well, there, were a couple, there were a couple of bottles that were clear. So I knew when we had like definite, the Coke and Red Bull and that sort of thing, you could actually see. How much? But did you then? Yeah. I'm gonna go back. Did you then like um, call Sophie out when she ate your cookie? I didn't know. I didn't know
0: she ate my cookie. It's funny because that was the that was one of the most conflicted moments I had during the entire three days because I went and, and I didn't know that the cookie was
1: coming. No, because and if, in, in retrospect, and have to, these were like this is gold dust cookies. I they had to fight for me to give this cookie up. Yes, like it, I mean, these cookies. We can talk
0: about these cookies later, but I think ultimately the JD Crew needs to be sponsored but, by this coffee shop that makes these yeah. cookies. Number one, because I think in the two weeks we were there alone, we kept them I in business. Think I did, yeah,
1: with our cookie yeah.
0: consumption. But that that particular stop, a st- stop, I had gone through, and we were going to try to get some solid food in, and Julie gave me a pop tart. And there's nothing more Mm. I love than a good
1: Frosted Strawberry Pop-Tart. You see, we were trying to give you a whole host of different options.
0: But I, so I grabbed the Pop-Tart and then all of a sudden, a hundred meters later, there's Sophie with with a magic cookie. And I was like, "Uh, uh, now what do I do? Because I have a Pop-Tart in my hand and I can't grab the cookie at the same time. So I had to forego the cookie in favor of the Pop-Tart. And I will say... The the Pop Tart warmed my heart. It it tasted amazing. But at, in that moment where she's like, cookie, I was like, oh, but I can't just toss this yes. lovely Pop Tart yes to the Is curb. the answer
1: yes, you toss the Pop Pop Tart. There is not even a question about that. The Pop Tart is gets it. Or you could have used anyway. Yeah.
0: I am secretly angling for a Pop Tart sponsorship at the well, same time. Okay. So right. I, I can't All I can't right. be dismissive. Don't of be dismissive of Pop
1: Tart. The Pop Pop-Tart. Tarts are awesome. <laughs> The off bit of that story, Sophie comes back to the van and we're all going through like, how much did she take? What did she eat? What she's drinking? And Sophie comes back with this like half eaten cookie. And we're like, did she take the cookie? Like, Or did she take, you know, take part of it? Did you give a part of it? And she just pauses again for slightly too long. And I think I just turned around and went, did you eat the cookie, Sophie? And she was like, (laughs) she just was like, yes guilty <laughs> she's like well she didn't take it and it couldn't like just let it go to waste and i think julie had a who we had lint balls as well at some point and you didn't take, oh, I'm not sure yeah. they were technically offered to you. I think people just pretended and then ate them themselves as we were going back to the car. feel
0: are like, I'm going to stick this lint ball in my pocket and when she rides by, I'm just going to give her a cheer and be like, yeah. I offered her this, but she didn't take it. So I, because it's a little melted, I'm just going to yeah, go ahead and eat exactly. it so it doesn't go to waste.
1: <laughs> um, I mean, like talk about, I mean, it fascinates me how you even start to think about how you fuel properly for three days. Obviously kind of, a half distance Olympic distance, half distance, often most people are on sort of gels or liquid car- calories. And that's sort the of thing. I mean, how do you even start to feel like, what are you eating during Ultraman to, to keep you going?
0: That was one of the things that was one of the things we learned and one of the big mistakes. And I mean, I, I don't want to sound like a jerk because I set a world record, but I made so many mistakes at Ultraman Florida and, um, Which is why I think we did such a better job at the Ultraman World Championship, both in terms of crew assignments. That was something we learned. Like, there were so many things to be done at the end of the day that we just... I hadn't given that any forethought at Ultraman Florida. I was just like, oh, you know, we'll go back and we'll be done for the day and we'll have dinner and we'll... But there are certain steps, like... The van needs gas. We need ice. We need supplies. The crew needs food. Um, Someone needs to prepare dinner. Someone needs to clean up dinner. Someone needs to check over all of these things. So that's why, and I felt really badly because I felt like I was being super anal. But I think in retrospect, it just made things run a little little bit smoother because everyone knew their job. At the beginning of the day, in the middle of the day, at the end of the day, so that everything got done and you know everything essentially ran as, as smoothly as possible. So that was a big learning curve from Ultraman Florida. Just to be really specific with all of the things that need to get done because it's it's monstrous. Like it's a huge undertaking. This race. Um, the other thing we learned was that replicating Man nutrition in terms of what my nutrition was at that time. Was also a huge error. Um, day two of Ultraman Florida, I started with you know I was using a all liquid nutrition because in Ironman racing that seemed to be what was working for me. And on day two, not even forty five minutes in, I I took a sip and it I just started throwing it up. All of that sugary sport drink, it was just turning my stomach upside down. So. It was a blessing, the fact that Ultraman Worlds had been canceled two years running because it gave me this huge runway to experiment with and figure out nutritionally what was going to work a lot better. And I still have a really, to your observation, a long way to go with fueling and a long way to go with my nutrition. But if you could see where I had come from, This was a this was a big win. And when I look at and because Kate did such an amazing job executing this strategy and tracking the number of calories. I mean, I looked back at my nutrition from Ultraman, Florida, and because things slipped sideways off the plate 30 minutes into day two, there really is no record of what I took. It was like the the crew went to a convenience store and bought all of these, like, well, maybe this and maybe that. So I had some bars and I had some chocolate balls and I had some Sour Patch Kids. And I had this random assortment of things that maybe I could get down because they at that point, they were triaging really early on in day two. So for us, this go around, I had a pretty specific nutrition script that I had tested in training over and over and over as to what worked. And we had chucked a lot of things by the wayside that hadn't worked. Like, I think one of our very first attempts, and we knew we were going to need real food. Real food was a big key in this, in having not sports-based nutrition for an entire three days. It's just, it's too much on the gut. So we had to find simple, real foods that I could take in that could be easily concocted in the van and that I could get down the hatch. And the very first thing we started with and it makes me gag to even think of was rice, banana, water, and a little bit of table salt blended into a You mentioned
1: that to me and I thought, thought it sounded the most disgusting thing I've ever heard of.
0: Well, And it sounded really disgusting to me too, but my nutritionist had recommended it. And so I was like, well, I'll try it. And my feedback from the first time I tried it, I, you know, I got back from a long ride where that had been my first bottle and, and I messaged him and I was like, well, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. And he's like, okay, that's not good enough.
1: <laughs> no, nope.
0: I, I mean, it has to be something where I'm like, actually that tasted quite good. And so we had to play around with a lot of different things. And there were a lot of different concoctions that went into a blender and into a bottle. And ultimately what we arrived on, and it sounds crazy, was baby food. Um, I didn't have to chew it. Uh, We stayed away from any of the vegetable products. So there was no like carrots and beets and other things that you find
1: in. Carrots would always be coming back up.
0: (laughs) Oh, (laughs) terrible. Uh, But we we settled on banana baby food and blueberry banana oat baby food. That they, They come in the pouches, which aren't environmentally friendly, but they aren't dreadfully different than a gel packet on a bike, but it's real food um and they were delightful the only thing that i had a hard time with in training was getting them open because they are
1: child proof yeah. <laughs> yeah they are ultra so, ultra man athlete proof
0: 52 <laughs> year old twisting proof. the top twisting the top while riding in your arrow <laughs> bars was actually tough but again the crew had them open yeah. all i had to do was give it a squeeze down the hatchet went and then the other thing we settled on um, were king's hawaiian rolls which is a kind of it's like a sweet bread um that again there was a bit of biting and chewing involved but once you take a swig of water with them they literally melt in your mouth
1: or once you've doused your bike with water they are melted in your bento box
0: not so attractive Which oh, so were the gummy lifesavers, which I actually didn't even realize I were know. in there until later in the day when I went to reach in there for something. And I was like, what is this gooey mess? They were meant mess? to be I'm a like,
1: surprise oh, for you. And obviously it was a surprise, but it was a surprise gooey mess.
0: <laughs> it was a surprise that I discovered way too late. Um, but yeah, so some of those real foods we were really able to use, particularly on day one, uh, that, that I was able to eat and digest and not lean on sort of sugary sports fuel. Um, and so as we progressed through the, the three days, we sort of reverted back to what was on day three almost entirely Ironman nutrition because particularly running for me with a bit of a sensitive stomach, um, that was the easiest thing to get down. But I wasn't sick of it by day three because we had done other things on day one and day two.
1: What was the best thing
0: you ate? Uh, the the party bottles. The party bottles. And it was it, it was it was technically drinking. Yeah. Um, true. and I am sworn to secrecy as to what went in the party bottles. All legal. But I would um, say it was all legal. <laughs> it, oh, it was legal.
1: Legal. Hundred percent legal. <laughs> We're gonna have like anti-doping <laughs> down I, around. I know, seriously. What are these? All legal. um Top secret. The, the party
0: <laughs> bottle. Because it was such a surprise. I didn't know what was in it. They just handed me a bottle. I think Kate handed Chaffin. me a bottle.
1: Basically, that's all and I will say. It, it had caffeine
0: it, in it and something else—caffeine, sugar, and yeah. just—it was cold. And I took a sip of it, and whatever it was, I just—I like—I—I I smiled, I grinned—the grin of a Cheshire cat. Yeah. I was like, "This is amazing," <laughs> to the point where I went through it so quickly, and really was sort of like submissive. The next time I passed you by, guys, and I was like, "Can I have another one of those, please?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. May I have yeah. another, <laughs> please?
1: Sir. please sir. Can I have some more? And what was what was the worst thing you ate or drank um
0: yeah and this is a funny story this requires a bit of a backstory so when I first learned about Ultraman from Hillary she told a story about how on day three she started craving fresh squeezed orange juice which to me is completely bizarre but to each their own So she said to her crew, and she was not far away from Waikoloa Village at this point, she said to her crew, Mm, I want fresh squeezed orange juice. Again, would never be my first choice. The acidity, the fructose, forget about it. It it wouldn't have worked for me, but that's what Hillary wanted. So that's what Hillary's crew was going to get her. They left her with a pacer up on the Queen K, dove down into Waikoloa Village, gazillion shops in there, surely we'll find some fresh squeezed orange juice. Could not find fresh squeezed orange juice to save their life. So Mikey grabs a carton of Tropicana, heads back in the van, back up to the highway, puts it in a bottle, hands it to Hillary, says, "Orange juice." Hillary takes one sip of the Tropicana, chucks the bottle back in Mikey's (laughs) face, and says what the bleep part of fresh squeeze did you not
1: understand uh, we can swear on this podcast i do all the time (laughs)
0: okay (laughs) so i literally am looking at hillary who normally is pretty reserved and go with the flow and i was like wow all of that over just orange juice and she was like you want what you want out there and you don't want anything else and i just thought the story was hilarious so never give hillary tropicana we had an
1: orange juice moment didn't we
0: we did end up having, and I had prided myself in Florida of really kind of keeping my proverbial shit together. I really only lost it one time when somebody on my crew said, you're almost there. And I had more than 10K to go. And I was like, that is not almost there. Like in that case, that's more than an hour. You drag your ass out here and run this far and tell me if we're almost there. Anyway, that was my moment in Florida. But I am incredibly aware that my crew has made a great deal of sacrifices to be there to support me so being unkind or being snarky in any way is just not helpful so I was so gracious to my crew and I really tried to be gracious to my crew the entire time until (laughs) someone decided that it would be a good idea to change up the palette and feed me a bit of lemonade. So I'm
1: gonna stop here and interject because (laughs) I'm gonna give you the other side of the story. So we're in the van going through, well, actually I'm out running a little bit because we're on the run and we're pacing and the guys are in the van, but we'd all discussed it anyway. We'd been out like on one night when I was doing like um, getting all the supplies and stuff, we'd talked about what if shit goes to, you know, what if it goes to ratchet and you get into that state of going, won't take anything. And we're like, again, sort of sourcing ideas of what you might like. So there were a few options we had that we'd got as backup. And so, so far into the run, I think we just sort of thought maybe it would be a good time to just interject something slightly different, a a bit like the party bottle. You know what I mean? It was like, maybe this is actually going to be the best thing. Anyway, go back to your side of the story now. (laughs) So
0: I'm running through an aid station and Julie has a cup in her hand and she warned me, she said, this is just a bit of lemonade to change up the palate. Just give it, give it a try. And you were pacing with me at this moment. We ran through. So I grabbed the cup again, just trying to be compliant. And truth be told, like on any given day, like I can be out on a hundred degree day on a golf course or whatever, out to lunch. Lemonade would still not be my choice. Just the tartness of it just doesn't, I'm not a fan. Anyway, I know this now. I take a sip I I take a sip of the lemonade. I literally spit it out. I apologize, perhaps on you. I threw the cup back and I looked at you and in an almost like a mommy dearest with a wire hanger moment, I was like, Why? (laughs) Why would you (laughs) feed me lemonade? It was a bit like
1: that. Yeah, why would you change the script? Like, why would we change anything? And lemonade, I was, and I was like, like I, was, all right.
0: <laughs> I was equal part. Like, it actually, like it upset me. I was like, why would you do yeah, that to you me? Were like, more I upset don't understand. Than like, everything was going so well. What? Why? why? <laughs> and you were so great. You're like right I got it it's okay we're gonna fix it we're gonna get you back what you wanted in the first place just just don't and literally like I have never seen you run so fast to the van (laughs) to replace lemonade with whatever it was at the moment that I thought was necessary but yeah I I am not proud to say we did have an orange juice moment and then it came in the form of like country time lemonade or whatever the hell it was was like
1: uh, (laughs) I can't remember it was very specific it was not like a sprite I wouldn't say it was definitely not a sprite it was very much meant again like meant to have that tartness but I have to agree with you for over the three days I think you kept your shit together incredibly well I don't think I ever really saw you have a dip in energy in emotion well bar the last 10 miles but we'll come on to that um like you were pretty much in control but as with any race and if people have done an iron distance race you go through highs and lows so were there any parts of the race that were you felt you were in a particular low or that were a particular high you know like this is amazing look at what I'm doing kind of thing
0: yeah i mean uh, obviously or the hardest um, parts um, or yeah, yeah yeah across the 3 days and, and i will say that an emotional like an, a true emotional low came and i don't even know if you were there um it was before the start of the race we had gotten to the pier um a, a little a bit more than an hour before the start of the race i think you had gone to meet gabe my paddler um and get him sorted get his board launched in the water etc cetera, etc cetera. Do-
1: oh, so i think you might forgot, have been- sorry we forgot to mention gabe in the crew Yes. he was awesome yes Gabe oh. was awesome so yeah full credit to Gabe but he was very much part of our group. yeah yeah
0: his demeanor yeah. was incredible like just so calm and so knowledgeable about the, his the ocean. price for
1: any other team going forward is very very high just saying that just saying somebody out. reached out to me yeah. for his contact yeah. Yeah.
0: information and I specifically yeah. did not get Good. it because number one I don't know if he'd want to do it again but number two um yeah his price is too yeah. high um yeah <laughs> I think you had been with Gabe, but I I sort of, we were ready to go. Like there was probably a half hour left, maybe 35 minutes left before the start of the race and everything was sorted. Everybody was in position. Everything was ready to go. I hadn't put my wetsuit on yet, but essentially we were just waiting. And I had this moment of, and I don't know if it was sheer panic for all of the things that could go wrong or if honestly, and you'll kind of know, you'll know what I'm talking about. My preparation for this race had been so thorough. I was so fit. I was healthy. I had the best crew and we had the best plan in place that I think I was simply, honestly, emotionally overwhelmed by the prospect that everything might go really right. And I, I, I did. I had. I I had an emotional breakdown on the pier that came seemingly out of nowhere. I just. I walked away from the crew for a minute, and I just started bawling. And Dave had eyes on me, and so he walked over. And at that point, we all we all we all, uh, husband,
1: we all had eyes on you. Don't worry.
0: Yeah. At that point, because he's my husband, and the emotional attachment is so strong, he was not the right person in that moment. And Julie came over. And, and she said, you know, she said a couple of things to calm me down, and, and I think just reaffirmed what I already knew is that you are so ready for this, and nobody else is as prepared for, as you are. And in retrospect, she was a hundred percent right, and I knew it at the time. And I think that's what freaked me out is that I was so prepared, and um, it's it was overwhelming. And so she looked at Kate and she's like, "Pre race warm up." Kate's like, "We don't really." She's like, "I don't care." Pre race warm up
1: okay start doing TikTok dances like, or something
0: seriously we started doing these maneuvers I was like I don't know what we're doing but essentially it was Distraction. to keep me busy and keep my mind occupied yeah. um and so that was really Other than the last several miles, which I knew were going to be hard, um, and just fighting through those with every ounce that was left in the tank, which by that point wasn't much, the hardest bit was just getting started. It really was the hardest part. During the swim, I had some lows because the conditions were really tough we started with this glorious South swell. And I thought things were like, I felt really good, felt really easy, had opted for the sleeveless DeBoer wetsuit, which was a win because I think it kept my core body temperature down. Like I wasn't overheating. I was counting feeds. And in my mind, we were over two hours into the swim. And at one point I rolled over and was taking a feed. And I said to Gabe, I was like, how are we doing? Oh, he's like, Oh, you're kicking ass. He's like, we're over halfway. I was like, over halfway. I was like, by my mind, because I wasn't wearing a watch. I was like, I felt like we had been in the ocean oh my, for hours. In my and
1: mind, we've we, nearly finished.
0: We <laughs> we I, seriously. And, and to that point, I was like, I was sort of embarrassed then to ask and didn't have the courage to say like, are we there yet? And it wasn't until I saw the ocean bottom that I, I finally had the courage to say, how much further? <laughs> <laughs> And you know, because when I got to the shore, Julia told me, swim until you beach yourself. And I literally swam until my belly was on the sand. And there's this great picture of me just sticking my hand up and you being like,
1: oh, I guess I'm going to pull you out of the water. you were meant to swim to where I was standing because I'd like measured out the water and I was like, she can swim to here. And I'd like cleared rocks from the sand and made this path. So I'm like, I was standing there to hopefully be that whole like, swim to me and then you got to like a stroke away and just was like it was head down in the water and his arm just appears up and I'm like, guess I'm coming to pull you out then. <laughs> at that point. like, I guess we're not getting I mean, we're not ironically
0: getting a meter in. We're just gonna <laughs> yeah. yeah, ironically for me, the swim was the hardest leg of the entire thing. Harder than the run, even at least for me, sort of it it comes first. So there's a lot of emotional baggage as you sort of settle into this endeavor. Um, But mentally, because I just had no concept of time or space, like where I was, it just felt endless. I mean, the run was a, don't get me wrong, as you well know, because you ran a good bit of it. um, The run is a long, long way, but at least I always knew where I was. Like there were, there were no illusions about where I was at any point in time. And in the swim, I think that blindness was uh, it was the swim was surprisingly harder than I thought. So that was a low. The high, obviously, um, there was a bit of <laughs> and you can tell this story a little bit, I think. Um, the finish line, obviously, an emotional high once we found it. Yes,
1: <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I forgot about that bit. So <laughs> you,
0: you tell this story. So we, you, the run finishes for anybody that's familiar with um, this stretch of road. You turn off uh, the Queen K Highway onto McCallagh. McCallagh, which is what you don't miss, don't miss. Don't miss this turn. Always turn right um, at McCallagh. Always turn right at McCallagh. So we get to McCallagh and you run down McCallagh. You get to the end of McCallagh, and where in the Ironman you turn left to go past the aquatic center towards transition. In this case, you turned right to go into the old airport where we knew the finish line was somewhere. So at that point, I knew I was there. The emotion was starting to bubble up. And for the first time, you sort of allowed it. Earlier, a couple of miles earlier, when I started getting emotional, you're like, nope, not yet. Keep it together. Nope, not yet. Um, but we got to that point and I started to feel like we
1: actually were going to make it. And then... And then... <laughs> yeah, <I was> like- <laughs> It, to be fair like they had said like you need to know the course yourself and so they you know for the bike you downloaded it onto your gps we'd ridden it we'd driven it we knew pretty well where we were going we the queen let's face it the double marathon on the queen cake it's not that hard to know like all we needed to know was turn right at Macola. that was our one turn we needed to make we made that nailed it high five we're nearly there um we get to the bottom there's a little arrow that says right to the old airport fine we then see another little arrow that points us left into the old airport fine i'm expecting at this point to at least be able to hear the finish if not see flags paraphernalia people and we turn left into the old airport and there is nothing and it's a wide open space and the road goes around the edge and at this point i'm thinking i can't see a finish line please tell me I haven't brought her in and the last kilometre we've got lost. Two, I have no idea where else it could be. Three, do I have to follow this road or can we cut the corner over to that, you know, in the only direction I think it could be. So we did follow the road. Unfortunately, as we did then follow the road and did that right-hand turn, we finally found or saw the finish line, which wasn't that close either in the old airport. It was quite quite a long way to get there. But yeah, I was a little bit panicked at that point.
0: It was a bit of a delayed celebration because I think, oh, my God, we're here. Yes, and then it was like, oh, shit. It's like, I'm not sure I know where we're going. I'm like, wow,
1: we are at the finish line here. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I I, like that, what you described on the pier, and um, I think it's an odd, it's almost as scary when everything is falling into place because we always think of the negative of like, what if it doesn't? And I think you had that incredible feeling, and I've had it once before leading into a race, and it meant I was incredibly emotional leading into that race. And I would, I had it for days leading into the race, and I would randomly break down in tears driving a car, because I had this overwhelming feeling that I was in the best shape I'd been in, X, Y, and Z, which is what you kind of described. So I fully, I fully understand that. And Like, if you think about this race, it had been three years in the making for you. You qualified in 2020. The plan was to then race at the end of 2020. Then we had a small issue of a pandemic, which kind of put things on plan, uh, off plan. It was postponed for a couple of years. So describe to me then, like, those last 10 miles, that finish line where everything suddenly was coming together the three days had pretty much gone to plan um you got a small penalty which we haven't covered but anyway um what yeah what does it actually mean after all that to win and call yourself ultraman world champion
0: it's it is in many ways, very surreal. It still doesn't feel real. And I actually got, and this is funny, not funny, haha funny, but almost ironic. The morning after the race, I got an email from Taylor Nib, um, who for people that aren't familiar, um, is our newly crowned 70.3 world champion. She's 24 years old, and she's a phenom. And she had sent me an email of congratulations and imparting a bit of world champion advice. Now, I do not put 70.3 world championship on the same level as Ultraman world championship.
1: Very lower, I would say. Very much lower in the scale. (laughs) Sorry, Taylor. Sorry, Leander Cave. Sorry, everyone else who's won 70.3 world. Way down the list.
0: Um, Obviously a different beast all into itself, but she was so sort of... A, not adorable because it makes it seem like, like a patting her on the head, but it was, it was really meaningful. I would say she gave me this advice. She's like, just sit with it for a while. Don't force anything to come of it. And here I am two weeks later, still kind of sitting with it because it doesn't seem real. I mean, there's so much satisfaction that comes because so much effort went into it. So much work went into it. And I've been an athlete all of my life. Um, you know, I'm 52 years old, and I'll say that for a solid 48 of those, I've, I've been an athlete. Um, and it's really rare when you have one of those experiences that your preparation goes so smoothly. And, I mean, minus two years of waiting for the event to even happen. I guess that's not that smooth. But
1: the preparation goes so smoothly. Time.
0: Yeah to be even more thorough. Um, I I think had the event happened sooner, I wouldn't have been as thorough. Like had the event happened in 2021, I wasn't planning to go out there for a training camp. So studying the course in advance um, ended up being a a real key, I think, to the success. And so it is incredibly satisfying because I've gone into other races incredibly well-prepared and had them not go according to plan. And that's just sport. So it's incredibly satisfying, a relief um, to have had this experience and uh, such a special experience because it was shared with my crew, um, all of whom are, you know, and I'm not going to get emotional, but incredibly special people in my life Um, and to share the experience. And I don't look at it as... I'm a world champion. I look at it as we are world champions um, because we did this. Every single person on my crew played a, a role in it, and and I think we are world champions. And that's what makes it, I think, even more satisfying for me because it was a group effort.
1: So I failed because I was hoping you were going to cry. Then that was my aim to make you cry. Didn't <laughs> I came came close. close. I came really close. Um... <laughs> so then okay so at what point though in those last 10 miles because again i think the run pretty much went so let's go back back a bit and i know i've jumped a bit all over the place start of day three one let's summarize for people who didn't know because we've not really talked about the details of the race which i kind of didn't want to but day one you're third out the water within minutes you're at the lead on the bike um you get cat and mouse change positions with um rob gray is rob it, Gray um, at the front yep. of day one but you basically come in to finish day one 10 seconds or so behind rob didn't want to you know put the nail in the coffin and beat the boys on day one could have done just saying there was
0: no, honestly there what was no doing. point and i actually felt bad because rob no. tells the story that he's doing like exactly which is why i to stay ahead of me and i was like I was
1: like, which is why oh, I think it's alligator. hilarious because kind of... we know you could have done, but we didn't let, you know, that wasn't the score. Anyway, so you're in the lead, you're pretty much joint lead, but second at day one. Day two, mass start, um, massive bike ride. Um, okay, so and also I didn't say you broke the course record on day one. Day two, you still come in. You come in third overall on the day. Just two of the boys are in front of you. Um, you break the course record on day two. Um have a slight penalty minus minus six minutes which then officially makes it not a course record we're just going to ignore that um but you're now you're still second overall at this point including the men but you are first female which was the which was the plan but at this point at day two you have a two hour lead of the next female um and I think we would worked it out that going into day three you probably need an hour 10 um Now, I'm not saying then with a two hour lead that it's suddenly like, oh, this is in the bag. This is like we've got this. This is like, you know, party celebrating tonight. Definitely not, because we just all know like a double marathon um, is, you know, you still have to get the distance done. But we knew pacing or you had that conversation with Julie about what that um, conservative pacing was to still get the job done in a still an incredible way. And to be fair, I think you stuck to that and probably ran for how many miles were we doing on that on that day 56? So probably ran for 40 miles, feeling yep. pretty damn good.
0: Yeah, I would say and, and this wasn't necessarily my intention. Obviously, I had pacing guidelines, I had heart rate guidelines. I had a race strategy in mind where I should be holding back, holding back, holding back, and where I could feel like I started to actually run the race. It was very conservative. And as I was running, my goal became because I felt really good. I mean, in spite of the two days that preceded it, which obviously are physically challenging, I felt really good running. Um, looked, really, I, I know I, looked really good. Running. I was just saying, looked I really look at, good I look at pictures no. and I'm like, oh god, I'm like myself running. No. I'm like, oh, I just don't know where to begin. But I felt really good, and you had jumped out at Kauai High. So the plan was I would run the first 17 ish miles on my own. The first real difficult challenge in the run comes at. Kauai high where you run up the hill to the queen k highway and it's a it's a long hill um it's hard on a bike there's no wind there's no breeze there it can be hot stifling and the plan was okay sid's gonna jump out of the car and join you for this sort of grind of a hill and i remember thinking as we were running it i was like i still feel really good like i'm 17 miles in and i feel like i'm still warming up like it it felt really easy and i think we passed a couple of boys in that section. Um, and and I felt really, really good. So then it sort of clicked in my mind, like, how long can we make this feel good? Like, let's keep, at that point, I sort of stopped watching pace because it, you know, I didn't necessarily, I was tired enough that I didn't need to hold back to be hitting the paces we were hitting necessarily. So I thought, let's just keep making it feel regardless of what the pace is, the pace is sort of locked in. Let's make it feel as easy as it can for as long as it can. And I had seen Rob Gray on the side of the road and I actually asked him, I was like, when's it going to start to suck? As if it hadn't already.
1: (laughs) For three days, (laughs) to be fair,
0: but yeah. He sort of of looked at me, he gave me this funny look. He's like, what? I was like, when's it going to start to suck? (laughs) And he said, he's like, make it feel good until scenic point. And I will say, I kind of feel like it was somewhere past scenic point around the four seasons as we were running towards the butt crack where I started to feel like, okay, this isn't easy anymore. This is starting to be an effort. And then you had the brilliant idea as we climbed the hill from the butt crack to the airport or uh, approaching the butt crack, we're going to count trash bags. Like you, at that point we, you and I had talked a lot in training as we were pacing number one, you're like, do you like to count up or count down? Great question. I like to count down. And so I then decided to count up the trash bags, though. (laughs) The trash bags. (laughs) Oh no, we
1: didn't. We still counted down. I think we still counted down. We counted down. We did count down. I think we counted. I think we counted
0: down. But it was you were, and we had talked a lot about the landmarks. Like the blessing of that stretch of road is that we know it like the back of our hands because we bike it, and then certainly from the Energy Lab, we run it all of the time in Ironman racing and training. So we know it really, really well. And breaking it down into small pieces. And you happen to notice during that climb that there had been trash collection and these orange trash bags up this hill. You're like, we're going to count the trash (laughs) bags. And I was like, right, good point. (laughs) And it was at that point, and and Julie had said to you, because I often run alone, right? I'm not a confident runner. I'm not a good runner. So the squad that we train with, I'm the slowest runner in the bunch. So I often am at the back of a run workout, which actually was good mental prep when the field ran away from me at the start of day three. I was like, "Happens all the time. I'm used to this. Just you know, do your own thing."
1: You're, um, you're a better runner than you think, but we're not going to go into a psychology session here. We can have that offline <laughs> another time. Anyway, we'll, back to the trash. We'll
0: save that for a bottle of wine in January. <laughs> back to the but, trash bags. So, Julie had said to you, "Don't say a lot because I'm not used to running with people, and I wasn't going to be conversational." But there came the point at about that time where you started chatting quite a bit. And I was like, hold on. I'm like, this is actually really helpful. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Having internal stress in my head going, I was told not to say anything. I was told not to say anything, but I'm now like talking like diarrhea. But yeah.
0: You're you're nervous yeah. talking because you're like, okay, well, like she's holding it together. Like how long can we like patch her together with duct tape and dental floss to get her to the finish line of this bloody race? But you started talking an awful lot. And I actually said to Julie, I was like, keep her on. And you said, you had said, you're like, okay, I'm off. Sophie's going to come out. And that was one point I put my foot down. I'm like, no. And you looked at me and you're like, what? I'm like, no. <laughs> and I said I to think Julie, it was, like, the I have to
1: say, I think it was more awkward. It was actually Dave. It was your husband. And you oh, said no. And I'm I was like, sorry. oh, awkward. Yeah. I now feel awkward. <laughs> And it's, I mean, it's hard for Dave.
0: It's hard for me with Dave because of that. And not that you and I don't have an emotional attachment, but that's different than a husband and wife. And I could look at you very much in light of being a coach for me during those days. And, and, but with Dave, that emotion, it's too raw. And so it just was, it was simpler. Um, running with you and running with Sophie. Sophie was singing 80s tunes, which, by the way, I'm a little let down. You didn't go to the, that extent. <laughs> Sophie came out and started singing like some take on me from Aha. And I was like, oh, yeah, girl.
1: Yeah, we're getting into it. There was never going to be any singing. I'm sorry that to disappoint you. I could have pre warned you about that. There was never. Actually, Again, maybe if things had the, got really desperate, I might have had to. But yeah, I don't think I'd have gone that the, far the for you, depths I'm afraid. My crew went to yeah. Sophie
0: singing 80s pop hits, like full credit. Yeah. Uh, Kate is shouting on the side of the road. This is why we K box. This is why we K box. <laughs> um, and then Gabe came out in that. That is one thing I remember distinctly. Cause I had not smiled in like three hours and Gabe came out and I was able to muster a smile, but it just was like the conflict in that last particularly sort of eight ish miles from the airport just past the airport in um, to the finish line the tank is empty. Like there's nothing left. And all I wanted to do was walk. And at one point you're like, we could walk it in and be fine. I'm like, Oh, can we,
1: we had, we had, we had time to kill. We could have done.
0: But, once you start walking, it feels so good to walk because you, you're not running anymore. But then the when you start to run again is so incredibly difficult. Like I was like waddling my way towards a run, str- if, even if you could call it a run stride at that point. Um, the stop starting was difficult. And of course, we had the traffic lights that we were trying to time and the last eight miles it's just it's a struggle in every way shape and form and again full credit to my crew for pumping
1: me up and and carrying me through to the finish line is there no I'm I'm super conscious like and I could probably chat for another like three hours on all of this and the race and the stories like in those last and I just want to bring out that last bit those last yeah let's say like it felt forever coming back from the airport and like which I thought would have felt. Not quicker, but like you said, we've done that section of road so many times. The airport is a massive landmark. And after that, the landmarks come quite quickly with the garage and yes. the gas station and the coffee shop and et cetera, et cetera. And then right turn which we could see for a while. Um, but at what point of that, you've said it was hard, obviously, and you've said you were battling that. It's so nice to walk. But at what point? in those last few miles did you start to believe and think you've done this did you at all honestly no because you know the
0: possibility of complete physical failure is a real threat at any point um whether it's cramping whether it's I mean, I've had episodes where I've literally collapsed to the ground and they are recent enough in memory that I was actually living in fear that some sort of physical failure um, was possible at any given moment. So honestly, it wasn't until the false start in the parking lot about 200 (laughs) meters from the finish line when I was like, we're there. I'm like, no, we're not. We don't know where we're going. Oh, there it is. That I honestly was able to breathe a sigh of relief that there was a lot of emotion in that last, as you experienced in that last eight miles, just from physical exhaustion and wanting to be done and wanting this thing to be done. And, and you guys did such a good job of keeping me posted on like, look, like you're, you're, you just have to get there. We've got plenty of time. You're not under pressure. Um, you've got the time. If you need to walk, walk. We're going to take walk breaks. You are very disciplined in the walk breaks. Like we're going to walk for one minute and one minute only. Um, a- and then we're going to get back running again. Uh, all of those things really did help me get there. And there was emotion because of the weight of the effort, but I did not believe and trust that it was going to happen really until we were kind of on McCullough and on our, on our way down into the finish line because that threat of physical failure is is very very real uh, at that level of exhaustion, depletion, physical exertion, etc. I knew my crew. There was no way. Like the, the interesting thing about Ultraman, um, in Ironman you are allowed to crawl. Crawling is a form of locomotion that is permitted in Ironman racing. It is not permitted in Ultraman. So the notion that, okay, even if I'm on the ground, I can crawl, you're not allowed to in Ultraman. <laughs> so I was like, you need to stay upright and keep going. And the emotional toll it took just to keep going was pretty heavy in that last eight miles, then 10K, then five, the last five miles were endless for me. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't really until we got into the old airport that I thought it's going to happen and the relief
1: <laughs> the- <laughs> <laughs> so didi Greasebauer, ultraman world champion course record holder by a massive 45 minutes what is next for didi Greasebauer, or is it too soon
0: <laughs> um, uh, no it's it's not too soon uh, all i'm prepared to say at this point is that i'm not done um, I had given thought to the fact that this would be an elegant way, particularly the way the race went for me to mic drop and say, what a career I'm so grateful, but there are some things that have sort of wet my appetite that make me feel like it's worth hanging around for just, I'm not, when you're done, you're done. Yeah. Right. When you're, when you're, when you walk away from from a professional racing career, it's over. And I just really wanna make sure I don't have any stones left unturned, that I have any goals left unsought. And and I have a goal left that I think is worth my dedication for a, a bit longer to try to pursue. And I'll leave it at that.
1: Okay, and I won't ask any more questions on that. Now, um, we haven't quite finished. I have a bit of a surprise and I was gonna like, pretend like and now I'm bringing on the rest of the crew (laughs) but I'm not they are sadly they're not here I didn't invite them on uh I was just selfish and just wanted it to be a chat between us two but I do have questions from the crew now I have three questions (laughs) we're going to go one by one question which obviously you have to answer but then you have to guess who asked that question the question Okay. okay are you ready for this the hardest this is the hardest part of Ultraman. Um, question number one Have you ever peed in the pool? 100%. <laughs> have, okay. have a hundred percent. Have you ever peed in our swim sessions?
0: No, and that's the thing. I haven't done it since I was maybe 12. Oh but no, I mean, you definitely yes. I it have after been, of
1: I've peed in a pool. After 12, no, really not. Definitely. Oh, right. okay. No. 12. All right but you did at 12. Who asked that question? <sighs> I'm going to start counting down. I should have had a stop clock. The time is running out. Yeah, I need an either, answer. It's either it's Julie or Sophie. It's Julie or Sophie. It's Julie or Sophie. It's Julie. Do you, I was about to say, you can take a 50-50 or you can phone a friend on that, but who are you going to go for? No, finals? I'm going to say it's Julie. Incorrect. I'm going to say it's Julie. Incorrect. Oh! I'm not going to tell you who, though, because then we're going to get – well, actually, it w- might change for the rest. I'll tell you at the end. Second question. Probably a bit of a longer answer for this. If you could do it all over again, what would you do differently? No. <laughs> no. That's like, if I could do it all over again, no. That wasn't a question, no. but no. Uh, even though you got a free entry. Um, no. Question. If you could do and... it all over again, what would you do differently? I would
0: stop at the stop sign at the red road, (laughs) so that I officially would have the day two bike course record.
1: Good question. Now I want to clarify. That's going to eat
0: away with me. You
1: didn't just—you didn't blow through a stop sign. You did stop. You just happened to stop slightly over the line because we didn't see the sign straight away. So you didn't blow through a stop sign. You did obey, but just and they still gave you a penalty
0: I uh, my rear wheel had cr- like literally I stopped so hard I, it, that my rear wheel came up off the ground I and by the time think, it landed it was beyond the white line I just the think they line. wanted
1: to make yeah. the other competitors feel a bit better about themselves that you weren't just like <laughs> having this Adonis like this amazing day anyway I,
0: I will admit that's going to eat away at me for mm. quite a while that I didn't particularly because day two it, because of road diversion ended up being 174 miles and even at 174 miles I had the course record which was sub
1: and it was but that when you dip st- under eight hours to now just that anyway we all know you got just it. over it. who asked yes. who asked that question um sophie incorrect oh, fuck. all right oh. third and final question and then i'll really reveal reveal uh who asked the questions um <laughs> sorry i need to compose myself If you were trapped on a desert island for the rest of your life, (laughs) who would be the one crew member you'd take with you and why? (laughs) I I
0: am going to say... The one crew member I would take would be Burgundy Betty so I could drive back and be reunited with the rest of my crew. Oh, okay. I actually was worried.
1: I was actually worried whether this would have to be a day. You'd have to ask, uh, you'd have to reply Dave on this question. Otherwise, we could all be in now, trouble. No, won't,
0: we won't bother with the logistics that Burgundy Betty can't drive across an ocean <laughs> in a deserted desert island. But I'm going to say Burgundy Betty so that I could drive back to be with the rest okay. of my crew.
1: And who asked that
0: question? I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say it had to be Kate Legler. It did have
1: to be Kate Legler. You got one out of three right. <laughs> I have to say to the listeners who didn't get that, we had various hours, evenings spent going through questions of if you're on a des- deserted island, what would, you, would be the one food you could eat? What would be the and, one... And
0: prioritise these three horrendous
1: things that could happen, happen to you. you what, what would, would be you the you one the music you could yes. listen to? All that. Um, going back... Have you ever peed in the pool? Sophie asked that. Sophie Evans. Oh, sweet. And if you okay. could do it all again, what would you do differently? Julie asked that one. Oh. So, yeah. See, I flip flopped them. You did, I and I wasn't going to say. But, Dee, it's been absolutely. Awesome to chat to you. I know we could chat for another 90 minutes or so. I'm already slightly panicked that Kelly's going to be like, you took, you spoke for how long (laughs) you realize I might have to like cut it into two episodes, but it's been brilliant.
0: Hey, we're going into, we're going into the winter in the Northern
1: hemisphere. People have long trainer rides ahead. You never know. Let's just hope this hasn't made it any more painful for them on the trainer. (laughs) Let's hope it's an enjoyable experience, but I will finish off by saying, Didi Greasebauer, you are Ultraman, world champion, course record holder, world record holder. Fucking awesome. Thank you for chatting. Thank you for having me.